Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. It is the end of 2021, and I know it's been a hell of a year for me. A lot of changes, a lot of growth, and I know that it's been a very challenging time for the world at large. And one of the things that has helped pull me through is the access that I've had to uh, my hypnotherapist. And I don't think that hypnosis gets a fair shake. I think a lot of people still have a lot of misconceptions of what it is and also the power that it has on helping us uh, heal, become resilient, and many other things that come with working um, with the unconscious. And so I wanted to end the year with something that I think can be of value to help us start 2022 with a sense of hope that we can reignite and reclaim our resilience, something that I think everyone has the ability to access. So I'm really pleased to have with us today, Monique Chenier. She is actually my hypnotherapist. Um, and I wanted to share her with you because I feel like if you understand hypnosis and the accompanying tools that you can use with it, you can also uh, start to find different modalities that can help beyond just talk therapy. And is something that uh, you can even learn to do on your own when it's combined with uh, mindfulness practices, and we're going to dive into all of that. She is a registered consulting hypnotist with the National Guild of Hypnotists, which is the oldest and largest hypnosis organization of its kind. She has been doing this since 2012 and uh, works in age regression, imprint removal, pediatric hypnosis, and smoke cessation, among some other areas that she uh, works with. She brings a unique blend of tools and resources that uh, her clients use, myself being one of them, to uh, even help with things like coping with cancer. So there is so much uh, that we don't know about the unconscious that we can tap into that can help us reclaim our power and that is what I would like for you to end the year with. So you can start 2020 knowing that you have the ability to reclaim your resilience and use that to really empower yourself in the year to come. Without further ado, here is my interview with Monique Chenier. Monique, thank you so much for being here today to talk about all the amazing things that you're up to and what you're doing and how you help people um, 
with trauma in their lives as well, different modalities that you work with to help them through that. So I wanted to bring you on because for the audience that listens to the podcast, um, I think that what you have to talk about and the things that you do are really valuable. So thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me here. It's a really, it's a really great honor. So originally, um, you know, I had come to see you um, because I wanted to, I, I think I had enough self-awareness to realize that I was self-sabotaging at many points in my life, particularly when things were going well, which you would think is not when you would self-sabotage, but things were going really well. I would start self-sabotaging. I had enough self-awareness to realize that I was doing that. And I thought I need to get to the root of why I'm doing this. And um, I felt really called to connect with you after I had seen you um, a couple of years before that at a conference and heard you speak about mindfulness. And um, it really had stayed with me. And so I wanted to connect with you. And that's why, you know, I really went to see you. But um, hyp hypnotherapy or, and hypnosis can be used for a diverse number of reasons. Um, what do people typically come to see you for and, and how can, like, what can hypnosis be used for? Well, typically um, people come to me for things like um, confidence boosting, um, <clears throat> smoke cessation, um, even fear release. Uh, and, and this is where things get kind of interesting. So when I, first was introduced to hypnosis, it was because I wanted to quit smoking. And I had gone to one of these group hypnosis things. And it was, I had no idea what I was getting into. I just wanted to quit smoking. And I knew that I hadn't been able to on my own. Hmm. And I ended up in the dark, uh, in, you know, uh, in a sleep, well, we had to bring the sleeping bag and all this kind of stuff. It was a really kind of surreal experience. And when I left it, uh, I didn't smoke. Wow. And yeah, so I was pretty, pretty excited and pumped about that. Um, I did return to smoking twice, but the third time I knew that for me, hypnosis was the only thing that had helped me stop smoking and, and, and what I needed to do was find a private hypnosis, hypnotist, hmm. someone with whom I could work and go back to if I needed to, because I knew it worked for me. Um, again, people, a lot of people will say, oh, it didn't work for me, but they, they quit something or, or something was really life changing and it really was impactful for a very long period of time. But when circumstances change, and this is the thing with hypnosis is that we, when we leave the hypnotic work, um, we continue the work ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you, you see the hypnotist and then afterwards, you're the one who is maintaining that frame of mind and you know that. Um, a lot of the work that you did, if, if it's been successful, it, it's because it's a cooperative effort between you and I. And when you leave, you're continuing to imagine or see or think or, you know, and, and put into place the things that work, uh, that keep it working right. and keep that change of, of mindset or frame of mind. And um, so when I left, when I, when I um, was successful the last time I had, I, in I had also begun working with mindfulness and that's where I combine hypnosis with mindfulness. And um, 
and I knew that time when I left that I was never going to start to smoke again. And by the time I enjoyed my experience so much with that particular hypnotist that I decided I would get my training with her. Okay. And I decided I would become a hypnotist because living in Northern Ontario, I thought, gosh, we have a lot of smokers. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they deserve, they deserve a, another option besides, you know, all these, these drugs. I had tried all of the drugs and, and some of them honestly uh, are really, really not good for your mind. Yeah. Um, people get depressed on, on Champix and stuff like that. Yeah. And I thought people need other options. So when I got my training, I was really coming from it from this point of view of, you know, I want to help people stop smoking. In the meantime, of course, through the training, they're like, oh, yeah, you can help people, um, you know, with, with uh, confidence, with feeling, um, with sadness, with, you know, different things. And um, what I have found over now, I'm, I'm finishing, you know, my eighth year as a hypnotist is that hypnosis is a great tool to work with whatever the person wants to work on. Mm -hmm. and, and that becomes just the most interesting part of it that I would never have expected when I started the work. Um, so, I mean, it just, it's like, what does the person want as an outcome? Do they want to let go of the past? Do they want to get over a boyfriend? Do they want to, um, you know, feel better about themselves? What is it that the person is coming into this session or this, this, I don't work with people on with one session, but um, what are they coming into this process wanting to improve or modify or change in their lives? And that becomes, that's, that's, that's the beginning of this. Yeah. Yeah. And so with, um, hypnosis like you said you know you wouldn't do it with with them once what is typically like the right number of sessions that someone should be doing um yeah and and i mean i would only i wouldn't do it with them once now what gets really interesting i i say that it's just um now i've found that it takes a tremendous amount of energy on my part to be able to do one session with a person and hope that i'm going to give them an outcome Mm. I, I, when I first started working and I would do a, a stop smoking session, it was three hours of work on my part and that's three hours of talking. Right. Um, and, and I, although I love that, um, I found that, yeah, no, I, I think I need a little bit more time. <laughs> well, and <laughs> I know? think it's also a important In smaller bites. person like to explore, like you're talking about making these really radical shifts in behavior in like one shot. And I think that to have something really become more sustained and like get deeper into the root of it, yeah. um, if you really want those long-term results, like, cause even with me, I remember the first time that I saw you, I'd come to see you for like four sessions, mm -hmm. um, which I felt were like unbelievably productive. I mm -hmm. didn't, you know. I like, I like about, four sessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, the sort of uh, idea that's sold to people is that you have to go to therapy for like years and years and years and like hopefully you get somewhere. And I, I was really impressed with the fact that like after four sessions, I'd made these like groundbreaking transformations. This was actually back in um, 2018. And then I thought, all right, I'm good, you know? And then I found myself like at summer of 2019, like a year later, basically calling you again and saying like, 
I need to, I need to see you again. Cause there's all these other things that have now opened up because of the work that I had done over the last year. But now I'm realizing I need that support again. And, um, there was actually a little bit of fear on my part because it was like, what's, what is that going to open up? Like, and I think that that's something that a lot of, of, um, survivors or anyone who's sort of afraid of the experience of any kind of therapy mm-hmm. are always like worried about is like, what is that going to open up? But can you talk about like how hypnotherapy works or hypnosis works? Like, why is it so effective and what should people consider when they're looking for working with a, a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist? Well, one of the reasons that it is so effective is that when we're, when we're trying to move through something um, upsetting, when we're talking about trauma, I mean, we don't want it. it and, and I'm going to make analogies here with things that are not as, as important. It's not that they're as important, but not as traumatizing as, as, uh, as what people have experienced with abuse and so on. Uh, but when we're trying to not feel something, we're doing it with our conscious mind or whether, you know, when we don't want to smoke a cigarette, we're doing it with our conscious mind. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, I don't want that. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to do that thing. I don't like it. Um, But we don't have a lot of control because that thing is stuck in our unconscious mind. So as much as we're trying to let it go or not deal with it or not look at it or, or feel better, like let's just say we want to feel better. We're doing it with that conscious mind and the conscious mind when when we look at well freud talked about the conscious and the unconscious and he used an analogy of an iceberg so he talked about the iceberg and so he talked about the conscious mind being the tip of the iceberg what we see above the water and we know from the titanic that the bulk of of the iceberg is underwater and that's what he referred to as the unconscious mind but since freud they've done a lot more research on that and the truth is that um the conscious mind is like a little snowball on top of that iceberg and everything else is unconscious. Hmm. And because trauma is something that resides in, is wrapped in, in emotion. And that's what the unconscious pays attention to. It doesn't really pay attention to anything that's not, you know, because you can you can have two people experience the same thing and one person it's not really a big deal um and this can be a christmas you know and and the one person's like yeah that was okay that was a good christmas the other person's like no that was so great it's the best christmas of my life because they got the gift that they wanted (laughs) you know whatever it was that made them really happy so that memory becomes wrapped in a lot of positive emotions and so that person's going to remember that christmas for a long long time the other person isn't going to remember the Christmas because mm-hmm. it was like, a, it, it really had no impact. Right. So that's, that's the reason with hypnotic work, we're going into, we're, we're in a relaxed state. We're going into a hypnotic state, which is not sleep, which we're going, we're moving to theta waves. Um, and in that state of relaxation, ultimately at the at the best situation you're in a dissociative state so you're you're not really dealing you're not feeling the same kinds of feelings that you would and so you're allowed then to come to a new relationship with that thing 
And, and that's where we can bring the unconscious and the conscious together. So the unconscious doesn't want, yeah, the, the conscious mind doesn't want this thing, whether it's smoking or whether it's the trauma. And the unconscious is saying, well, no, I really have to hang on to this because this was fucking awful. Or with smoking, it's like, yeah, no, we have to keep up with this terrible um, habit because, you know, it makes me feel tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in a hypnotic state, <coughs> we can bring the conscious and the unconscious mind to an, a state of agreement. And once they agree, then it's done. It's over. And it's like, yeah, no, you totally agree. And we know that the conscious and the unconscious actually have full personalities of their own. They've done a lot of tests uh, and, and studies and, and you can do personality tests for both the unconscious and the, un- and the conscious mind. Mm-hmm. And they can have very different personality markers. So what we want on a conscious level and what the unconscious has decided can be very different things. Yeah, that's so fascinating to me because, you know, we like that would explain that whole like self-sabotaging, right? It's like I'm got everything I need to succeed, but then I like managed to self-sabotage and it's like a repeated pattern. Uh, I'm I'm grateful that I've broken that pattern finally, but it did take, you know, that self-awareness piece and you can't really like get at it unless you do, you do that other work. So yeah. And and for really um, effective and successful hypnotic work, it's, it's this lovely interplay between the conscious and the unconscious. Yeah. So it's constantly bringing these things up to a conscious level and then making a change at the unconscious level. Yeah. So, and, and, and you'll hear that, you know, you can't make a change until you've brought, until something becomes conscious. Yeah. So yeah. a person with, who's, 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 who is prejudiced against something or someone until they admit that they're prejudiced until they start to notice the behaviors they can't change yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah and and so um you know when it comes to deepening our understanding of ourselves and specifically you know our traumas which i believe hypnotherapy has helped me to do um, there's also a lot of work that we can do outside of a therapy session. And some of the work that you encouraged me to do, um, for example, were like journal prompt work and writing. Can you talk about the power of writing and why you recommend it? Sure. Um, so I don't, I don't always recommend writing to all of my clients. It always depends on the client and, and what so I, I generally will work with tools that are best suited to each client. In your case, um, it was a great idea and a great approach. And, and of course, uh, worked into, you know, things that you, you are like work for you type thing. So, but the thing with the writing is that I do always use a particular approach. So I don't just tell people, okay, go, go home and journal now. Um, so it is from the writing practice approach and, you know, like it's where it's timed. Uh, and this is Natalie Goldberg writing down the bones and she calls it writing practice. So she used it as a meditation technique and it was a way of, so when we're in, in meditation, uh, we are in the present moment. We're working with our emotions, our thoughts, uh, the events in our lives, but we're not 
interacting with them. So we're allowing them to be, we're allowing thoughts, we're allowing things to move through our mind, but we're recognizing them as thoughts and we're allowing them to continue to move through our minds. When you use writing in her approach, so it's time. So you say, I'm gonna write for two minutes. The minute, the, the moment that the timer starts, I'm gonna write and I'm not gonna stop for the entire two minutes. I'm not gonna reread, I'm not gonna cross out. I'm not gonna judge myself, I'm just gonna write. And I'm gonna let whatever tumbles onto the page, tumble onto the page, whether it's junk or whether it's poetry, it doesn't matter, it's all the same thing. I'm just gonna let it all pour out. Yeah, you're not censoring yourself. That's right, you're not censoring yourself because it's timed and you really are pushing that pen forward. So that approach does two things. Um, it bypasses the critical mind. If we're talking, and that, that's from purely like that critic, that editor, right? Um, that negative voice. So that's really helpful. From a meditation point of view, it allows us to bypass monkey mind. Monkey mind, which is that saboteur, that sabotaging uh, element of ourselves that will distract away from what is actually important and allow us to move into that wild mind, that open space of, of possibilities. Um, and from a psychological point of view, pushing that pen forward, keeping it moving, allows us to bypass the conscious mind and dive right into, because the unconscious is unknowable. Uh, the unconscious can deal with 11 million bits of information per second. Now, wow. I've heard some people say a billion, but all of my research shows is 11 million bits of information per second. The conscious mind can deal with 40, just 40 bits of information per second. Hmm. So it just gives you a, a sense of how infinite wow. this, this part of our mind really is. It's just crazy. And so what is in that area of our minds is, is really unfathomable. Like we, we can't even, we can't retrieve it because yeah. every experience, every person we've met, every conversation we've had, every emotion, thought, Everything we've seen with our eyes is recorded into a cell or cells of our brain. And so when we're writing, we're able to let go, especially again, when you're using that timed writing approach and you're pushing that pen. Um, and now, and when you go with the first thoughts, those first energized, hot, crazy, whatever thoughts, they're the ones you're, you're putting down on the paper. Now you're getting closer and closer to really that place within you that you otherwise can't get to. Right. Yeah. I think it's powerful. Like, um, you know, so for someone like myself, because I am, you know, to be really frank, a control freak, I'm getting a lot better about it. <laughs> Um, but, you know, what do you say to people who think that they're not, you know, quote unquote writers or don't know if this is a good practice for them because, you know, maybe they're perfectionists and they aren't going to be able to just let go. Um, maybe because it will, it's, it's scary to just like open the floodgates, right? Mm -hmm. um, what do you say to people who have those reservations? Well, to people who don't think of themselves as writers, the moment you're writing, you're a writer. 
So it's that idea that there's, again, releasing a judgment, releasing this idea that there, there's a definition to that. I have a lot of people who, when I used to teach creative writing, everyone, a lot of the kids came into it and they'd be like, well, I'm not really creative. They just, you know, they had a space in their schedule open. So they took the course, which is right. always me really sad. But, <laughs> but the thing is, the truth is everyone is creative. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we let go of those, those uh, preconceived notions about ourselves, we are all creative forces. And, and, uh, and with the writing, it's like, yeah, we're all writers um, because we're all storytellers. Mm -hmm. every, storytelling is really like, it is what we are as human beings. We tell stories all the time. Um, and when you can let go on the page and really let go and push that pen, you're actually getting closer and closer to the true story or to as true a story as you're ever going to get kind of thing, right? Um, yeah. About, about a, an issue or an idea. Um, and, and for perfectionists, this actual, this, this um, approach is perfect because you're not giving that perfectionist part of you any any latitude because you're going no, no no it's okay it's okay this is okay it doesn't matter what I'm writing even if this sounds stupid this is okay because I'm just practicing and that's the idea is practice mm -hmm. um, and that's why I love the fact that she calls it writing practice now she calls it writing practice because it's meditation you know and we talk about practice but she also talks about how this this approach will help you with music with hockey with running anything that it is that you you feel deeply called to do when you can let go and just do it then you're you're getting closer and closer to who you really are supposed to be or who you've always been meant to be because you're no longer putting it through that filter of what society thinks or your family thinks or even what you think because we are our worst enemies yeah yeah um so so yeah, um, I'm, I think I answered your question. Yeah, no, you did. <laughs> I think, you know, what, what uh, I'm always thinking about is when someone does something like this, which can be, really be a cathartic experience, really, of like telling your story, even if it's just for yourself, like even if you never show this to anyone. And, and I think that sometimes that's the fear is that you're putting this on paper it means it's like being disclosed for the first time mm -hmm. or something but you know if, if it's just for yourself it still is like opening a window right mm -hmm. and is do you recommend that someone who's going to embark on these kinds of um you know uh experiences should seek support of some kind or um do this like if they are in some kind of therapy or doing some kind of work where they have a support system? It's a really good question. Um, I think of Dan P. McAdams. He's, he really did a lot. He, he's been seminal. Uh, he's a psychologist. And he did a lot of work in this whole narrative identity um, area and using narrative and, and actually um, learning to modify how we tell our life stories so that we can move towards wellness, health, um, because we're, we're actually shifting the way that we think of ourselves. 
and that in itself can can change our our health our mental health and one of the things that he says is you know and and i'm also thinking of someone else um timothy wilson who actually talks about he's he wrote this wonderful book about the unconscious and how unknowable it is and then he talks about writing uh, being one of those ways of being able to get to know ourselves and, and dive deep into who we are. Both of them, um, you know, talk about the fact that this does not necessarily, this does not replace psychotherapy, mm-hmm. psychotherapy or, or counseling. So, and that's where you have to really gauge as a person when you're doing this kind of stuff, like, do I need, do I need further support? Mm-hmm. has this opened up something now that I really need to go and talk to someone um, who specializes in mental health care? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I think, I mean, I think that it's, it's still worthy, something worth doing regardless, mm-hmm. but you may find that, you know, this opens up something and, so I mean, even even if a, a, a support system of um, a group or um, even your your partner or friends or family, like someone where you feel like there's a trusted support person, um, in the meantime, while you start, you know, deciding, okay, maybe I do need to talk to someone because a lot of times with this kind of process, I know I found myself. Um, you know, doing a lot of this work and then realizing like, okay, I like, I've been continuing to see you now since the summer because I've realized like, yeah, I could just do another four sessions and then wait, you know, however long. Mm -hmm. But for me, what has helped um, get through a lot of the difficult things that are helping me succeed in my business and in my work and in my parenting and in my personal life is continually, continuously having that outside support um, because I, I still have a great support community, but you know, that, uh, that professional like help mm-hmm. that helps you get, you know, uh, the tools that you need to get through, you know, and, and writing was one of those tools. Um, but even still, like I found that, um, it was amazing to be able to, to write in that way that was so much more freeing. But then the stuff that was coming up was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. Like, it wasn't anything mm-hmm. scary, but it was really like, oh, I didn't even realize that that was there <laughs> or that mm-hmm. that was going on or that that was something that my brain was even thinking about. And then, you know, so it's amazing the the, the growth that can happen, um, the awareness that can happen through yeah. this. But I was just wondering, like, should, you know therapy go hand in hand with this kind of thing or is it something that can be done on its own and eventually I, you can decide yeah i think i think it's definitely something that people can do on their own it depends on on again what approach you're taking with it um and what you're discovering through it and i like the, the fact that you use the word interesting because for me that that is a word i use all the time uh when we see stuff arise in our writing if if we're taking it from a meditation, again, a mindfulness point of view, anything that arises becomes interesting. And it's something like, oh, okay, so here I've got this to work with now. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, with when, we're, when we talk about mindfulness, when we talk about meditation, it's with that idea of non-judging, right? And yeah. so when you're writing this stuff, 
it's being able to say, okay, so these are things that are going to come out and, um, and, and all of this is going to help me continue to work towards feeling completely um, healthy and empowered. And how is this informing all of this stuff? Um, and yeah. not, you know, with, with Natalie Goldberg, she says, when something really scary comes up, dive into it. Mm. Don't run away from it. Yeah. Um, and that's a very Zen approach because again, it's like you, you don't run away from it. Tai Nhat Han, who, who is a lovely, wonderful, amazing uh, Vietnamese monk who's changed North American thinking. He's the father of engaged Buddhism and, and he talks, you know, when something arises, you don't try to, to chop it down or get rid of it because this is something, this is you, this is part of you. And it's one of the propensities that we have, we, we all share and here it is. And this is your opportunity to lean into it and go, okay, here's my anger, here's my fear, here's, here's my happiness or my sadness. And looking at that as just an opportunity to lean into that thing and um, get to know ourselves better and better and better and love ourselves more and more and more, uh, become friends with ourselves or become more compassionate with ourselves. But again, always with that idea that, yes, if something gets to be too much for you, then knowing that, yes, going to see someone who has specialized knowledge, um, you know, as long as, as long as you feel like what you're doing is working. Yeah. Uh, for me, that approach, that writing approach changed my life. And, and I did it primarily all on my own. Um, yeah. I yeah. Through, and and the, one of the things that I think has been um, really helpful for me is that, uh, you know, piece that you talked about of like, just not being an editor and just... Mm -hmm. you know, letting go of the critic, um, because it's not, you know, you're not publishing this. It's, it's not going up on a blog. Like it's, it's just for you to, um, be able to explore yourself really. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you talk about also like, you don't always have to read it after and, but other times you can. So where, yeah. what's that distinction? Like There's where would so many different a ways that you can use this writing approach. So in some cases, yes, if it's something that you really um, need to, to release and, you know, then you come back to it every single day and you say, okay, I'm going to write about this. And tomorrow I'm going to write about this. And the next day I'm going to write about this. Um, you don't have to reread those pages. Mm -hmm. You read and you let go. You re I mean, you write and you let go. You write and you let go. And eventually, yeah, you could burn that journal. Yeah. Um, in the case where you might be using it to remind you of, your, of what you do that is good in the world, you would want to reread those pages. Yeah. And you want to remind yourself over and over, oh, yeah, like I, on that day, this is what I did. Yay! Arms yeah. in the air and <laughs> celebrating it so that you remember it and you feel what it feels like to feel good and to feel like you've done something good. Yeah. Um, when I, I've also uh, suggested that these kinds of pages to people who are dealing with something that creates a tremendous amount of anxiety mm. and they can't sleep and they can't stop thinking about this. And one of the things that I suggest then, it's like using it almost like 
a time out where you say every day at 8.30 in the morning, I will sit down and I will write for 10 minutes. And for those 10 minutes, I will only think about this thing. Yeah. And I will write all of my worries onto this page. And at the end of the 10 minutes, I will close my book and I will walk away from the table. And every time then, so this becomes a really good way of disciplining the mind. Mm. To people, we've not been taught that we can actually, you know, lovingly and compassionately as a good, loving parent, discipline our own mind. And so, you know, instead of thinking about it 24-7, you say at 8.30, I write, for it for, write about it for 10 minutes and I let it go. And every time my mind goes to that thing for the rest of the day, I say, no, no, you, you can think about it. You can write about it at 8.30 tomorrow morning. And, and I used it at one point. I was facing some financial issues and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And so 8.30 in the morning, I, I wrote every single day. And the first few days, it was all my worries. Then it started to switch into possible um, approaches I could take to solve this problem. And by the end, I had come up with a game plan. Hmm. And, I, and I knew how to approach the situation and change it. So, yeah, and it's like you're tapping into the unconscious mm-hmm. when you're doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's and you're really giving powerful. yourself again that permission to just write, yeah, and to just allow your mind to. Because again, part of the problem is when we're worried about something. To go back to that example, is we'll think about it, then we wrestle with it, and mm. then we wrestle with ourselves, and then you know. But we're we're not actually doing anything. We're we're making the conscious mind, the unconscious mind, pay even more attention to it. Yeah. But we're not yeah. actually coming up with any solutions. Yeah. So that becomes a good opportunity then. Yeah, yeah. I just find so much value in it, and I know that, um, you know, as someone who educated, and you were, you know, creative writer, writing teacher, but you also work with um, people who want to become writers, and mm-hmm. so. I know that there's so much value in this practice, whether you are an aspiring writer or not. So many writers that we love have written and not, not because they're sitting going, I'm going to do writing practice now, but because it was their nature to do that. Stephen Mm -hmm. King would sit down and, and, and write an entire novel and then he would put it away. And he wouldn't yeah. look at it for years. And then he would come back and he would actually do the revision afterwards, which hmm. Natalie Goldberg talks about, you know, in terms of leaving stuff alone, leaving our writing alone, letting our mind then sift through it and then coming back and reading it a month later or, or a year later and seeing what has shifted and changed for us. Um, and it's interesting because I find that um, when I'm working on something, like uh, I was recently writing a proposal, like an essay for a book um, competition, and I could not, I tried to type this mm. essay and I could not get it out of my brain. And then I finally was like, I'm just going to put it, I'm going to write like physically mm-hmm. pen and mm-hmm. paper. And it's so much more powerful. Like, mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, because I've heard many times that that is a much more powerful brain body connection. Is that just because that's how the, the subconscious really like taps in through your nervous system or something like well, you know, that, that gets kind of interesting, yes, because Natalie Goldberg always suggests that people write by hand. 
We know that in a classroom, people who take notes by hand will retain infor information much more uh, easily than people who take or um, type, type their notes as the prof or teacher is talking. They won't remember anything. And, and uh, so we know that there is that deep, deep connection. When you look at hypnosis work, they used to do, um, and, and I did it in my training, you go into a hypnotic state and uh, it's called automatic writing. So, and it was interesting because when we did it as the exercise, it was sort of like, um, who sits, who was sitting behind you in grade three? And mm. I knew, mm. and I wrote it down. Um, but had the person asked me that when I wasn't in a state of relaxation, I wouldn't have been able to answer that. And, and that's what happens with, the writing practice at its ultimate is that you actually are going into a semi-hypnotic state. Yeah. Because you're really releasing any control over it and you're just allowing whatever tumbles out onto the page to tumble out on the page without, again, allowing that critical mind to engage with, well, that's stupid. Well, no one else would say that. Well, how could you, you know... <laughs> The self, and, the negative self-talk yeah. that typically comes up. And also giving yourself permission to just write whatever. So whatever the worst, and Natalie Goldberg calls it, you know, the worst junk in the world. Um, because, yeah. because, yeah, sometimes we're not going to be brilliant. But what, one of the things that I, I experienced with doing this for 25 years with students was that we are no judge of what is good or bad either. Because you know, one person says, oh, okay, well, I, I, oh, okay, this really sounds bad. And then they read it. And I mean, it's probably the most brilliant thing we've ever heard, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's where just walking away from the writing sometimes and allowing it to sift and then coming back to it. And then you can actually see the nuggets. You can, you can see what, what is, what is valuable in that writing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's great. Well, I appreciate how you've given me so many of those tools as well, um, among many others that help me really tap into um, parts of myself that really inform the work that I do and, and help me actually do the work that I do um, without being, you know, really triggered, which is what had prevented me from doing this kind of work in the mm -hmm. past. So I'm always super grateful. How can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing? How can they connect with you? I'm on Facebook. I've got like three or four Facebook pages, but one would be Mindful, uh, Mindful Living with Manek Shenyang. Okay, perfect. And I'll post those links, of course, in the show notes. So if people, you know, are interested and uh, want to connect. And you also have um, the Gathering of Moons. I'm not sure if that was one that you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I have the Gathering of Moons page, um, which is uh, primarily for, well, it is for women, women of all bodies and feminine spirits of all kinds. Um, so really, that, that's exploring um, feminine empowerment. And uh, yes, and then I have a private Facebook group called Real Live Muses and Kick-Ass Heroines, which uh, if that interests people, they can join that. It's free. And uh, I mean, there's just a couple of questions to answer uh, before becoming a member, but it's, I mean, it's pretty painless. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm a member of that. I love, uh, you know, the content that you're putting out in that group. So yeah, so I'll put those links in there. And um, the final question that I like to ask all of my guests is for a piece of advice that they would like to offer the audience regarding any of the three main topics that I discuss on the podcast, which are uh, consent boundaries and sexual reclamation. So I wanted to ask you, what would you like to offer uh, in terms of some sage advice to the audience? So, so not to be defeated by the idea that, you know, we, we have to come back to this work over and over and over again. And not to be, not to worry about a stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Because sometimes we can do things and sometimes we need a break from doing these things. Because it is tough work. I mean, there's no way, no other way of saying it, but it is hard work working on ourselves. Um, but it's work that, you know, is ongoing and is a lifetime pursuit. It's not something that we're, we do and we're done with. But not to beat ourselves up because we do need to take breaks sometimes or, you know, you know, even something as simple as, you know, quitting smoking. Sometimes we need to take a break from quitting smoking and we need to go back to smoking. And then we come back around and, and we just get better and better at, at uh, quitting smoking until we never smoke again type thing. Um, but really looking at it uh, from that point of view where we can be softer with ourselves, more loving and, and more understanding that it is a process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. It's a, having grace with ourselves because we tend to, especially with this culture that mm -hmm. is so uh, like towards the final goal. Yes. And yeah, so I, I love that, uh, you know, it, it's, it is an ongoing process, but it is, I think, the most rewarding because as you do come back to yourself and find that, you know, that self that has, that has that power inside, it's, it's the most rewarding and it, it can sometimes seem like a big journey, but, um, and I think this is one of the reasons why I always encourage people to seek support, right? So mm -hmm. one of the reasons I continue to, to well, work with you. Yes. And we are our own, we are the great, our own greatest gift to the world. And, and we have to remember that too, that we, we all have really important work to do in the world. So we are worth working on. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time, for coming on and discussing all of these, I think, really important uh, topics that, you know, give us that space to, to delve in and do the work and become better selves. So thanks again for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Okay, listeners, let us know what were your best takeaways from this episode post it on Instagram or Facebook, tag us, check out the links that are in the description um, on the show notes and connect with either myself or Monique and let us know what was your biggest takeaway. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to the About Consent podcast. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. 
If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.